Hey, everybody, and thanks for checking out this episode of the John Campia Show podcast, the audio-only version of the John Campia Show on YouTube. This episode was recorded on Wednesday, May the 20th, 2020, titled Batwoman Recasting as Ruby Rose Out After One Season. And remember, guys, listening to the podcast, you can also submit questions to be read during the live questions part of the show by using the tip link in the description of this podcast. The tip link is simply streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your question on the show and support the channel at the same time. And for now, let's get to the episode. Let's move on to main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by our friend Gabriel Reed, who writes, John, I'm sure you've seen the news already that the Academy is considering delaying the 2021 Oscar ceremony. That's the next Oscars coming up. I look forward to it every year, but I understand the likely decision. How do you think this will impact Oscars and or the theater experience moving forward? Thanks. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, listen, the big dominating news, of course, for the last couple of months in the world of film and film fandom is, of course, the movie theaters are shut down. You know, a lot of these movies we've been waiting for have been delayed and all that kind of stuff. And the question has often come up about how is this going to affect the Oscars? And, you know, my first reaction to that a a number of weeks ago was, you know what? I really don't think it's going to affect the Oscars all too much because I think, you know, uh, we'll be back and the theaters will be open again by end of July, maybe August, something like that. And, And it's really most of the prestige films come out after that anyway. So, you know, it's not going to affect the Oscars at all. But a little while ago, you know, on the show, I was talking about this a little while ago, I started realizing, you know, with all these other movies getting bumped, things are getting shifted around, all this kind of stuff. Maybe it will affect the Oscars. And it sounds like they are considering postponing the Oscars. Now, this comes to us from the folks over at Variety who writes the 93rd Oscars aren't until February, but the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences is considering postponing the big night, according to multiple sources. The sources who spoke on the condition of anonymity say definitive plans are far from being concrete at this juncture. The telecast is currently set for February 28th, 2021 on ABC. It's likely they'll be postponed. One of the sources familiar with the matter told Variety. All right. So what we've got here is clearly a situation, as Rob, we've been talking about a lot. This is a situation that's been evolving. Every day that comes and goes creates new wrinkles, creates new dynamics, new possibilities, and new limitations. And whereas a little while ago, it seemed like, yeah, the Oscars shouldn't be affected too awful much by all this is now starting to look like, well, as a matter of fact, it probably will be impacted by this. But the word postponed can mean a lot of things. And it's important for us to point out that even the Oscar people who are speaking to Variety are saying it's not set in stone that we're postponing this, but it is maybe looking like we will. But then the question becomes, what does the word postpone mean? Does that mean that the Oscars are going to be held in May? And that they'll change the eligibility for your films got to be out in theaters by the end of December to say, oh, maybe now your films can be out by mid-February of 2021 to qualify for this. So does it mean that? Does it mean, does postpone mean we're going to move the Academy Awards to December of of like 2021? Or does postpone mean we're just going to cancel this year's Oscars and we'll just get caught up on next year. But if that happens, it raises a whole bunch of other questions. Well, what do you do with all these movies that do come out in the LGBT? Are they just tough luck? You don't get Oscar consideration for anything. 
Or do you then roll over those movies into next year as well? But now it's twice as hard to win an Academy Award because your movie is not only competing against the movies of your year. You're also competing against movies of a different year. I mean, this is not an easy problem to address, Rob, at this point. So, Rob, let me ask you, you're hearing this that the the Oscars are considering postponing. Do you think they'll postpone? And then beyond that, what do you think postponing ultimately means? What do you think? Well, look, I I look at it this way in the sense that even though most Oscar movies that that wind up in competition, we see a few in the first half of the year, but most of them are backloaded as you know, starting in September, we see more and more Oscar films. And I just think that everything is sort of has been pushed. The entire industry has sort of been moved out, moved six months ahead so I just don't know. I, I think the Oscars would want to give all the films that are eligible or that are competing a fair shake. And I don't think this year gives anyone a fair shake. I think too many movies, even if they came out, they're not getting the attention they deserve. You know, Tom Hanks's new movie was just pushed out of theatrical and moved over to Apple uh, Apple TV. And the the industry is in the middle of this giant sea change. And I think it caught a lot of people unaware, especially uh, the Oscars or the Motion Picture Academy, as to what's really happening now. Are we going to allow streaming movies to compete? Would it be unfair not to? Like, you know, Scoob needs a fair shot after after all. It was an animated film. Does it get to compete because it didn't go theatrical? You know, I don't know if it would win, of course, but I I think there's just a lot of questions that people are asking themselves. And I think postponing the Oscars is probably a good thing this year because, look, John, they're trying to get every year. It's like, how do you get how do we get more eyeballs on the Oscar ceremony? But what do you do when there's no movies to actually award Oscars to, you know, and we've never been here before. And I think postponing the Oscars, I think they're going to skip a year. I really do. I think that I think that 2020 might be the year that skipped, but it depends. Like if we see the theaters fully open and the it's business as usual by say September 1st. Maybe they won't. Maybe their postponement will only be they'll, maybe they'll push it back into March like it used to be or maybe even April. This certainly that's where Oscar lived for a very long time and that might not be so bad but if it if it's any if if the industry is not open if if we don't have a successful opening and I think the country will know in two or three weeks where we're at in terms of how did this opening go if it if it goes well well then maybe we'll be back to normal relatively quote unquote whatever normal is by September 1st. And if that's the case, then maybe we'll see the Oscars move a couple of months and it'll go on business as usual. But if not, if not, maybe we'll lose an Oscar ceremony this year. Remember, I mean, the Hollywood Bowl canceled their first summer season, which is their big money maker, for the first time in like 93 years or something. So yeah. it's a crazy time out there. And I think the Oscars, more than anything, they need movies to honor. And if they're just not going to get enough or those movies don't get a fair shake, can you imagine winning an Oscar and then someone says, yeah, but you won in 2020. So it doesn't really count. I, I mean, see, nobody wants. Uh, I don't know. I, I think I prefer. Look, you very well could be right, actually. And you may raise a couple of really good points. I think the smarter route for them to go 
is kind of what they were alluding to a few weeks ago where, you know, we did a story, Rob, you and I, about how the Oscar was the Oscars were considering for one year making some changes to their eligibility rules for this year, you know, and you and I both thought that was a good idea. You know, make it so this year and be clear that it would only be for this year that the normal rules and requirements are going to be relaxed, that, you know, if you go straight to streaming this year, because there are extreme extenuating circumstances, we'll let you do it. I I would almost feel like it would be a better idea for them to make adjustments to their rules for this year and then just live stream the event. Don't have an audience. Don't do it at, at the, I almost called it the Kodak Theater. Don't That's do it at the Dolby Theater. You know, just have, you know, the way they announce the, the nominees, just have a podium, have a couple of celebs come up, read off the nominees. Do the same thing. Just have a small room, have a podium, have a couple things. We're just here tonight to honor the winners this year. It's a different thing. We don't have our regular pomp and circumstance. We don't have our regular thing. And then just read off the winners. But because... They very well may do what you're saying, Rob. They very well may just cancel the thing. But again, then that creates new problems the following year, because now what do you do with all the films that did come out in 2020? What do you right. do with all those movies? And do the films of 2021 now unfairly have to not only compete against all the other movies of 2021, but now they also have to compete with the movies of 2020, the ones that did come out? I don't know. It's it's not an easy problem to solve. It's not an no. easy one. No, and, and you know, the Motion Picture Academy, they do generate a lot of income. The Oscars become a lucrative show, you know, and that ad revenue, if they're not going to get that, that's a problem, too. All right, guys, the question here for you is this. What do you think about the possibilities of the Oscars getting postponed? Do you think postponing means a month or two? Do you think it means just knocking it off till the next year? And if you do knock it off, what do you do with all the other eligible films? It's a big mess right now. How would you handle it? Jump down into the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down and out of the way, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Greg Bellatrice, who writes, Hey, John, I've been hearing some whispers lately that the MCU had moved away from doing a Blade movie, but then today I saw that Mahershala Ali posted a concept picture of himself as Blade on his social media. Does that put the rumor to rest? What did you think about the image? All right. Thanks a lot for saying that in men. And yeah, you're not the only person. I heard some very granted, very small whispers. Uh, from various places online that I didn't pay any attention to. But there were a a few whispers that have been popping up over the last number of weeks saying, oh, I heard that Marvel decided not to do the Blade movie after all, and that's why you haven't heard anything. And of course, I gave no credence to that, and I think most people didn't. Uh, And really, it wasn't a widespread rumor, so so there's that. But I can't help but wonder if maybe the folks at Marvel and maybe Mahershala Ali, maybe they heard those little whispers. And so as he pointed out in the email, Mahershala Ali popped on to his social media account and posted this concept art of him with a big happy smile on his face. And that Mahershala Ali smile, only this one's got some fangs of him as Blade, which I think is great. I think I think it's wonderful. Now, Rob, I, I do got to admit it has been quiet on the blade front, right? Like everything has yes. been quiet. We we had Kevin Feige get up on stage at Comic-Con and announce that they're doing Blade with Mahershala Ali. And that was very exciting because Mahershala Ali is just like, he's a multi-time Academy Award winning actor. The dude's amazing. We all got excited. 
But unlike, say, Thor Ragnarok, which we have heard a bunch of stuff about Thor Ragnarok since the announcement of Thor Love, sorry, Thor Love and Thunder. Ever since the announcement of Thor Love and Thunder, we have heard a number of things come out and stuff like that. We have heard certain things and movements and developments on Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. What we haven't heard anything about is is Blade, and that's probably why some people started speculating that, oh, maybe it's not coming at all. But I think if there was any doubt, Rob, I think there was any doubt. I think that Mahershala Ali and clearly with the blessing of Kevin Feige and Marvel putting out this picture, I think that puts that to rest. Rob, there was a lot of buzz and hype when they first announced this and then nothing. But what do you think about this image coming out? And how are you feeling about a Blade movie at all now that we've gone so long without hearing anything else about it? Well, first of all, you know, I love the MCU. I do. And I think what a Blade movie says to us is that they're going to start delving into. We saw a little bit about of that with Doctor Strange, but they're going to delve into the supernatural realm. And there's a lot of characters like my beloved Moon Knight. One of the main characters in Moon Knight lore is the werewolf by night, which is another character. And I, I want to see Blade. I want to see the supernatural realm, you know, more del- delving into that. The MCU. So I'm very excited with the idea of Blade. Mahershala Ali is great casting. And I just think that, look, as we all know, when they made that announcement, they have a lot of other movies to get through. I mean, we have to meet the Eternals, which I'm dying to to meet. We've got Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness coming up. You know, there's Thor Love and Thunder. So there's a lot of movies that were in place that are going to come before Blade in their announcement. So Blade was always a couple years down the road. So it doesn't surprise me that we haven't heard a lot about it. But you know Marvel, John, it's not like they're not busy beavers over there drawing and coming up with art and and creating whatever they're going to create, making sure that script is is I, I'm I think now that they're going to start putting it into the zeitgeist they're like hey remember Blade and they're going to slowly in drips and drabs give us give us a taste Maybe they'll release a test shot of Mahershala Ali. I mean, this is the closest thing. This piece of art, it's pretty cool. Like, I'm like, that dude looks like Blade. I mean, he kind of <laughs> looks like the Wesley Snipes version of Blade, but okay. You know, Blade's Blade. I I, I can't wait. I mean, I'm looking forward to it, man. Yeah, Bring it I, on. I, I, you know, I got to admit, until this image came out, I, I, I wasn't thinking about it. But right. if you had asked me two days ago, hey, John, where's your enthusiasm for Blade right now? I probably would have gone... Eh, to probably die down because it's been so long since we heard about it. But now seeing Mahershala Ali post about it, it's got my enthusiasm all the way up again. So it's exciting. Oh, yeah. See, guys, question is, have you seen that image? Well, clearly you've seen it now. What do you think about it? Do you think that puts to rest any of those little whispers that have been starting to come up? Oh, maybe Marvel's not doing Blade. Does that put that to rest? And where's your enthusiasm right now for this Blade project? Jump down to the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Matt Linton, who writes, Hello, John. I remember seeing a trailer for the Tom Hanks World War II movie called Greyhound not too long ago, and it looked exciting and maybe even an Oscar contender. Well, (laughs) you can't tell if something's an Oscar contender from a trailer, but uh, now I heard it's getting released on Apple TV+. I'm actually in shock seeing how Apple TV Plus is the least watched and known of the streaming services. What do you make of this Oscar contending movie? Again, it's <laughs> there's nothing to base calling it an Oscar contending movie yet. But what do you make of this 
Oscar contending movie being thrown on streaming for free when it looked like it was all set to release in theaters. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that question in. And yes, it came out. The news came out that as you know, the longer this whole lockdown has been happening, more and more movies, very particularly selected by their studios, have been moving over to streaming for a bunch of different reasons. One, they just got no place to put them. Maybe they thought this this was a particular movie that wasn't going to do very well, so we can throw that over there. But I'm telling you what, it was with a bit of surprise that we found out that Tom Hanks's Greyhound is now one of those movies, only this one's being moved to Apple TV+. Plus. This report comes to us from The Verge, who writes, Right now, however, is a good time for Apple to invest, including buying films from studios like Sony who are looking to offload titles. Again, because we talked about the release schedule that is available is getting more and more packed. A number of studios and distributors are just looking to offload a couple of titles. Uh, Studios like Sony who are looking to offload titles. Warner Brothers and Universal have released some of their movies digitally for people to rent and purchase, with Warner Brothers planning to move Scoob to HBO Max. Disney is making films like Artemis Fowl and Hamilton Disney Plus exclusives. Other studios like Paramount have sold films like The Lovebirds to Netflix. Sony isn't as invested in subscription streaming as Disney, Warner Brothers, and NBC Universal, creating a lucrative and appealing option to sell their films to companies like Apple that need content for their streaming service. So that's what comes to us from The Verge. And, you know, this makes a lot of sense because in this era right now, while I'm still surprised, it does make sense upon reflection. Look, Sony's like any other company right now. They have to look at the movies that they think have a good chance to make a lot of money or at least be profitable at the box office. They also have to weigh that against, you know, some streaming services, in this case, Apple TV Plus, who really want to get some titles. And believe me, Apple has more money than all the movie studios in Hollywood combined. They were probably able to offer up a pretty lucrative licensing deal to take that movie straight to streaming. Now, whether or not that's ultimately wise for Apple to do, maybe not, but they've got nothing but money in the coffers, Rob. They've got nothing but money in the coffers. And even though Apple TV Plus has put out some good content that you and I have talked about, you know, I've really enjoyed um, uh, For All Mankind. It was really great. Morning Show was way better than I thought it was going to be. Despite the fact that they put out some good content, they are straggling far behind a lot of these other streaming services, and maybe they need to make some big splashes, even if it's not financially the smartest thing to do. And so they go for something like a Tom Hanks kind of prestige looking film like Greyhound. I was surprised. I'm not going to lie. I, I was surprised, but I guess upon reflection, it shouldn't have been all that surprised. I guess it kind of makes sense. But anyway, Rob, you see this. What's your analysis of this whole situation? Well, you know, uh, Bloomberg had an article about how Apple TV is looking to acquire old television libraries yeah. or old content yeah. libraries. Uh, and and I was reading this. And I'm thinking, you know, they launched this streaming show and for all mankind, I just started it, you know, just started catching up with that. And I just started the morning show and I'm I'm enjoying them both. I'm two episodes into each. And but the, they had. I mean, they should have had content to release like every week for six months. It's it's like the, the, there's not a lot of pickings there. And, and I think that this is a good move for them. I mean, I really want to see this movie. I love – first of all, Tom Hanks has a pretty good pedigree when it comes to World War II. Not only was he in Saving Private Ryan – 
but he was also, of course, the producer on Band of Brothers in the Pacific, and now they're doing that the miniseries about the air war uh, during World War II. So anything that Tom Hanks has to do with World War II, I will watch. So I think this was a good acquisition, but I was really looking forward to seeing this in a theater, you know, and, and at the, on a big screen with a big sound system because there's lots of explosions and submarines and count me in. But I think for Apple Plus, you know, if you're acquiring a Tom Hanks film, that at least is going to get more eyeballs on your channel. But as we've talked about so many times before, John, it's all about content. You can have the greatest streaming service in the world, but if you only got like five things or ten things on it, you're not going to last very long. I mean, Netflix is dropping how much content a week? And I, I, I think it's a good move for Apple, but is and Apple has the money, but they've really got to step up their game. Yeah, it almost seems like they have the opposite approach and problem that a Disney Plus has. Disney Plus came out of the gate with one marquee show, right. one, but a very large library, a very large and impressive library. Apple came out of the gate with a number of high marquee, high marquee uh, original content shows. Yeah. But no library or at least a, yeah, a much man. smaller library. So it seems like they had the op- opposite problem. And so I, I think you're right. It makes sense at this point. They're looking to acquire licenses to older content, third party content, as well as maybe start to acquire some prestige things to get more eyeballs. It's like Apple's going, hey, guys, don't forget about us. We're here. Yeah. And, and and this might be a good move for them to do. A little surprised I was, but Upon reflection, maybe I shouldn't have been. Question here is, guys, what do you think about this move for Apple TV Plus? Do you think this is a smart strategic move? Do you think this is addresses some of the problems that they have? What do you think about it? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down, let's move on to main topic number four. And our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by Franklin Bailey, who writes, hey, John. I just saw that Timothy Oliphant is going to be playing Boba Fett in Mandalorian season two. I'm confused because I thought the original actor who played Jango Fett was cast to play. And that's Morrison. Uh, what do you think of this move? All right, Franklin, thanks a lot for sending that in. However, we do need to be. Very, this is the problem with just reading headlines. We got to be very careful about qualifying this. Nobody is saying that Timothy Oliphant is playing Boba Fett. All right. But John, I saw the headlines. No, no, no. Here's what the headline said. Okay. So here's what the headline said. Oliphant, this is from Screen Rant, who originally broke this story. Oliphant filmed scenes wearing the Boba Fett's Mandalorian armor for the upcoming second season of The Mandalorian. That might sound confusing because earlier this month, as it was reported, that Tamara Morrison, who originated the role of Jango Fett, and we saw in Aquaman recently, had been cast as Boba Fett. So... What's going on here? If Morrison is playing the role of Boba Fett, then Timothy Oliphant is playing an enigmatic character named Cobb Vanth. Now, if you don't recognize the name, it's because he's never really appeared in anything except in the novels. Introduced in Chuck Wending's Aftermath book series, Vanth is the self-appointed sheriff of the Tatooine-based settlement Freetown. He wears a mysterious set of Mandalorian armor that was acquired from Jawas who scavenged the wreckage of Jabba the Hutt's sail barge shortly after the, re- the events of Return of the Jedi. So what we have here, apparently, at any rate, is a situation where we have we're going to have Boba Fett, but we're also going to have another character wearing Boba Fett's armor. 
Does that sound a little bit confusing? Sure. Could it be a little bit confusing for some people? Sure. But it sounds like Oliphant is not indeed playing Boba Fett and is instead playing this other character. Now, Rob, this is going to be the first time that we've seen Mandalorian and heard reports about Mandalorian delving into stuff from the original movies. Of course, in Mandalorian season one, they went to Tatooine, which to me was the worst episode that they did. But and we all know in season two, they're digging into some of the old TV stuff to bring in some of the cartoon characters. This is the first time I, I think that at least that I can remember that they're going to be diving into bringing in characters that were introduced and all have only been up to this point in some of the novels, which could be interesting and all that kind of stuff. I suppose I got to admit, I wasn't the biggest fan of the aftermath books. I was not a big fan of the aftermath book. So there's that. But anyway, Rob, Timothy Oliphant, you know, we always say you hear me say all the time. It's never a mistake to add talent. I love this guy. This guy's amazing, whether he's in Justified or Deadwood or man, he was even in the good place for a couple of episodes and playing himself, which I thought was great. But so I love the addition of him. As a matter of fact, me this too. character interesting i mean interesting i don't know if this is going to be a good character or a bad character or whatever but adding him is kind of cool anyway what do you think of this first of all i love the idea of if that's the case if that's what's really going on that they're delving into like look i'm a big fan of all the kinds of expanded universe things all i can say is i would pay lots of money to see grand admiral thrawn show up in the show but okay uh, i think it's great and i'm really excited timothy oliphant i've been a fan of his since i saw doug lyman's movie go back in the 90s and i've loved him ever since i think he has a great presence i think he fits really well but you know what tomorrow morrison i mean like you said is he playing boba fett this guy no tomorrow morrison could play captain rex and boba fett he could i mean i don't know if he's gonna play captain rex but i love captain rex i've got a great i got a great action figure captain rex uh and and hot toys is putting out a captain rex so i'm excited but uh timothy oliphant can do no wrong i don't care who he plays john I don't care who he plays. I just love the fact that they're like they're going after the, the choices. You know what they're doing? It's almost as if we're sitting around in a bar. I mean, I know you don't drink, but if you and I were sitting around in a bar and we were having a Star Wars conversation about what we would love to see in The Mandalorian, we would come up with stuff like this. We'd be like, wouldn't it be cool if maybe not this particular choice? But I, I think that's kind of where they're going with this show. Uh, the, cl the the cast, uh, look, Carl Weathers and Giancarlo Esposito and, and Werner Herzog. I mean, Gina Carano. Who would have thought all these people would be together in a Star Wars show? And now they're adding Timothy Oliphant and Tamora Morrison. It's like, uh, and Katie Sackhoff. This show just gets more and more awesome as it goes along, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Jack Nicholson comes out of retirement to play some <laughs> grizzled old wizened Jedi in the show. I mean, who knows at this point? But I think it's exciting. I think it's exciting. All right, guys here. The question is this. What do you think about the addition of Timothy Oliphant to Mandalorian season two? We got to be getting close to a Mandalorian season two trailer. At least in initial tease, we got to be getting close to that. And uh, maybe we'll see some of these faces in there. Questions. What do you think about this, guys? Jump down to the comment section below and let me know your thoughts all right guys with that down let's move on to our fifth and final main topic today and our fifth and final main topic today gets submitted to us by aaron mauer who writes john i'm not sure if you saw but it has been reported by many news outlets that ruby rose will be exiting the cw's batwoman 
This is just days after the season finale, which makes me think she didn't just give notice, but waited to announce it. With a season two being renewed, do you think her departure is because of unhappiness with the story or something else? All right. Thanks a lot for uh, sending that in, man. And listen, oddly enough, um, it has been months since you guys know, I tell you, if you want to send in a, a topic to be on the John Campus Show, go to the com slash contact and send it in. Rob, it has been months since I've had as many people writing in about one issue as it has been about this Ruby Rose. Oh, I know, dude. Totally <laughs> caught me by surprise because I didn't think that many people watched Batwoman, but a lot of people have written in. And yes, we had this show, big introduction, big build up. They introduced her in a crossover. They did all this kind of stuff, had season one, it got renewed for season two, and now the word comes that she's out. And I'll tell you what, it ain't just that she decided she wants out. Here's the story that we get from Deadline that wrote it as, 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 as this. Now, these are the words of Ruby Rose who wrote, I have made the very difficult decision to not return to Batwoman next season. This was not a decision I made lightly, as I have the utmost respect for the cast, crew, and everyone involved with the show in both Vancouver and Los Angeles. But then the Deadline article writer goes on to say, I hear the two sides mutually decided to part ways after recently reflecting on the first season and its challenges. Doing a network drama is one of the hardest acting jobs, and not everyone is well-equipped to handle the intensity and long hours involved. I hear Ruby Rose was not happy, but this is the key part. And the show's team around her was not happy. It was not a good fit. And the actress and studio opted to part ways. Now, others, uh, other, uh, some other of the uh, main news outlets uh, wrote very clear clarification saying this was not Ruby Rose's decision. It was a mutual decision with one of the major outlets even suggesting this wasn't even a mutual decision. This was a network decision. What is clear is that though I had heard nothing about this previous previously is that while Ruby Rose may or may not have been happy doing the show, the people doing the show were not happy with Ruby Rose. Now, I got to say, I have heard nothing, nothing. Now, granted, you know, I only watched about three episodes of Batwoman, so it's not like I keep my ear close to the ground on Batwoman news, but I have heard nothing uh, over the past year of there being any drama. I have not personally heard anything about anybody at CW or the team making a show not being happy with Ruby Rose or Ruby Rose not being happy, which tells me one thing. If there was that much drama going on, then kudos actually to the folks on the team at CW and to Ruby Rose for keeping internal problems internal. You know, keeping, you know, not airing dirty laundry, acting professionally, saying, hey, look, let's just get through the season. We'll shake hands and part ways. It's unfortunate, Rob, because personally, I was positive. I felt positively about her casting. I still remember when we talked about her casting at first. I felt very good about it. I actually I've only seen her in a few things. But I've liked her in those few things I've seen. She's she's got a, a the physicality was good. She's got a very athletic kind of build she's she's uh, like great on camera all that kind of stuff not the great i'm not saying she's the greatest actress in the world i saw only saw a little bit but from what i saw i thought okay yeah i, I think this can work and the episodes of batwoman i saw 
I didn't mind her in the role. My main thing about Batwoman, the only reason the show didn't really work for me is that the story didn't quite work for me. So, you know, I didn't hate it. It just didn't quite work for me. So I moved on from it. But I thought she was perfectly fine in the role. But dude, man, after one season and gets renewed and has all that kind of stuff to have to part way with an actor or actress, the lead actor or actress, Rob, on this level is not something I'm really familiar with happening in television before where the lead character who did the first successful season ditches after one season, the lead, and now you got to replace them. So I can only imagine, and I don't want to get into the TMZ speculation about, ooh, I wonder how nasty things got behind you. But right. clearly, the team was not happy with her. She was not happy being there, and they've made a change. And again, if it is that bad, then kudos to both of them for keeping this very quiet this whole time, waiting for the season to be done, not allowing this to become a distraction for the viewers and the show while it was running its original season, waiting for it to be done and then not wasting on any time after it was done, not letting months pass of speculation, just come out and say parting ways. And so uh, it's unfortunate because I didn't think she was a bad little actress in the role, but who knows, maybe they'll get somebody who's even better in the role. Don't know. Rob, you know, it's never good to hear about this kind of drama in Hollywood, but you hear about this. What's your take on it? Well, look, I mean, my first take, I'm always I always want to give people the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, my friend Zach Stentz tweeted something about this yesterday, and he said some people, even though they've been in feature films, the rigors of a daily the daily grind of making TV long hours five days a week, you're the center of attention, is very different than when you're making a feature. And even when Ruby was on Orange is the New Black, Ruby, Miss Rose, I don't know her, um, but when Ruby Rose was on Orange is the New Black, she's part of an ensemble cast. But when you're the lead on a show, it's a lot of work. And if you aren't used to that schedule, sometimes you get irritable, you have the pressure of the entire show, whether it lives or dies, based on you. And it's a lot to ask of somebody. And if you're not prepared, um, what can you do? I mean, and obviously this isn't this kind of parting of the ways is never easy for anyone or their career. And I think that, you know, she stuck out a season. It didn't work. Clearly, if the whether it was the producers or whether it was her or whether it was mutual, or whether it was one sided. All I can say is that I like the fact that they went with this character. I like the fact that she took on the mantle. It's not like the internet embraced her with open arms and certainly embraced the show with open arms. And she has no control over what they write. And I think that, hey, I hope moving forward they recast the part. I like this character. Uh, I, uh, I, I want to I see the show be good. And I, I wish her the best, and I can't wait to see her. You know, I hope she's in uh, the next John Wick movie. Even you know, if she's there dead. was, even though her character's already. By the way, I liked her in that John Wick movie. Anyway, I did too. Yeah, I thought she was quite good in it. But you know, there was some speculation around that. There are some people online speculating. I wonder if this has anything to do because you remember she suffered that injury doing that stunt, uh, right. a very serious injury that was kind of scary. So a lot of people thought maybe that was it. But all the reports that I'm reading are saying that the, the stunt and the accident had nothing to do with the decision. You know, just people weren't happy with her. She wasn't happy with the situation it came. But you know, Rob, it reminds me of another situation because, you know, I'm sitting here saying, hey, kudos to both sides for keeping this in-house, not letting it become a distraction because there was a Another recent show, Rob, Lethal Weapon, the Lethal Weapon yep. show with all that drama that went on with their uh, uh, Riggs character 
And, you know, all the, the, the news gate that came out, it was all over the place. The lead characters, the lead actors in the film fighting and screaming at each other and the cast not wanting to work with the lead guy and blah, blah, blah. And it became a major distraction. He got fired. They were never really able to recover from that and all that kind of stuff. Now you look at CW, which and this Batwoman show. And again, I, I'm not a big fan of the show, but I can't help it now, especially when you see how what happens at another network on another show and how they handle their business. I got to admire how they handle this business because look, Rob, look, everybody, whether you're working on a studio set, whether you're working in a McDonald's, whether you're working in an accounting office, whether you're working in a law firm, all of us have at one point or another been in a working environment, whether it's our fault or somebody else's fault that we haven't been happy in. Right. So then the question becomes, how do you handle it? And it seems like they're handling it well. at least it, it seems to be re- reading too that Ruby Rose is getting out of this and hopefully not scathing her reputation much. Like hopefully they're handling this in such a way where, you know, she's getting out. It doesn't create a stain on her resume where other studios become afraid to work with her and stuff like that. Um, but again, it'll be interesting to hear if at some point in the future it does come out about what was the issue, you know, because clearly when when Deadline is writing, the team wasn't happy with her. And she right. wasn't happy in the situation. Clearly was something there. But hey, they made a decision that was healthy for everybody and they moved on. It will be interesting to see who they recast with. Uh, it'll probably be another name that none of us know, I'm guessing. Or do you think, Rob, do you think they'll buck that? Do you think maybe they'll try to go, you know, distract from the change by making the change a high profile one that maybe they go out and get a former star of another CW hit show or something like that. What approach do you think they're going to take? And what would you do if you were the president of CW in recasting another lesser known name like Ruby was when she got cast? Or do you try to make a big splash with it by getting a more recognizable name? What's your approach? No, you know what? My approach would always be to find the best actress for the role, whether it was a big name or whether it was an unknown. Uh, I think the best actress for the show and the best fit for the entire crew and all that is is the best way to go. And I think, look, honestly, with a character like this, I think it's easier to make that kind of a change. If you find an actress that blows everybody away, um, I think you can make that smooth transition. And that's what I would do. I'd find the best actress for the part, whoever that is. Whoever that is, I I think for me, if I was the head of CW and it was in all other things being equal, it's like, hey, we've got these two or three unknown actresses that have really stood out above the other 5000 that auditioned. And we've got these two or three well-known actresses that have stood above all the other competition. And they're all roughly in the same ballpark. And I got to pick one. But all the other things are equal. I think I'm changing the narrative. I think I'm going with the big name. I think I'm going not 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 Margot Robbie because she's not going to come out and play Batwoman in right. a CWT. But I mean, I, I think I'd go for a name that this audience would recognize um, that this audience might feel comfortable with that might because, you know, part of entertainment, Robin, you've been a part of this part of entertainment is also a very delicate PR game. And, you know, so I think at some point with the departure of the lead actress that could make maybe fans of the show feel a little bit unstable with the show, maybe bringing in a name that everybody would recognize and all that kind of stuff. Hell, Blake Lively, Blake Lively. She was in what was was the name of the show? Something Girl, Gossip Girl. You know, everybody bring in Blake Lively. She just showed she could do an actual. I mean, I don't know. I'm just I'm just throwing names out there. Actually, that's not bad. I tune in. (laughs) 
Right? Because that would make that would make people who are familiar with CW shows and these types of shows, oh, a recognizable name, a face, an actress we trust. Okay, now we don't feel like this show we enjoy is unstable anymore. So I don't know. It, it'll just be interesting to see how they approach it. Question here is, guys, what do you think about this? I, I honestly can't think of a last time that a show that was successful enough to already get renewed, renewed for season two where the lead performer departed i can't think of a precedent for this maybe there are a couple i just can't think of any what do you guys think about this can you think of other situations like this jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts all right guys with all that down and out of the way rob and i are not going to move on to your live questions i'm sure a number you're going to be writing in about this bureau situation but before <laughs> we do we are going to take a short break a reminder guys the only way you should be sending in questions today because youtube is having some problems they're not logging the super chats that are coming in so really today the best way and the only way to send in a topic or question to us for us to address in the live part is by going to the tip link that you can find in the top of the description of this video it's streamelements.com movie blog tv slash tip go ahead and send that in and we will get to your question when robert and i come back and again we are going to go now take just a short couple of minute break just going to refill the drink stretch the legs rest the vocal cords give you a chance to run and use the bathroom so don't go anywhere guys robert and i will be uh well yeah we'll be right back in just a couple of minutes even if the clock says something different we'll just be about two or three minutes we'll be right back all right, guys, and we are back. Thank you so much for your patience and indulgence as Rob and I just took a little bit of a break there. But now let's dive in and start taking your live questions, shall we? We're going to get things started off here with Mark Hansen, who wrote in. Interested to hear about the Adam Sandler flick. Now, of course, we talked about this on the John Campion show yesterday where uh, Adam Sandler is going to be doing a basketball based movie. Uh, and one of the producers is going to be LeBron James and his production company. One of my all time favorite sports films is Breaking Away, starring a very young Dennis. Qu oh, that's the cycling movie where the kid pretended so he was good. Italian. Uh, <laughs> I just remember that because of the Italian connection uh, starring a very young Dennis Quaid, Jackie Earl Haley and Daniel Stern. Love that film. Expect. Uh, Especially growing up in Indianapolis, not far from Bloomington. When did that movie come out? In like 81 or 80 or I think something? Maybe even like 70. Here, let's find out. Like 79 or something. I just remember because like being, you know, an Italian kid. But just somebody trying to act Italian was pretty funny to 79, me. July 79. July with a very yeah, I look, I that was clearly I wasn't old enough to watch the movie when that was out. But I mean, I watched that movie sometime in the mid to late 80s. I think I saw that for the first time. And it's a movie about cycling the guys dreams of being a cyclist. But it's really about these these four friends, I believe, like either either 18 turning. No, they're 19. Turning they're like 20. stone cutters. You know, they yeah, were like 19 turning 20 and it's kind of a little bit of a, of a weird coming of age thing at the same time. But Rob, your your thoughts and memories of that movie. What do you think? About I it? saw it when it first came out and I loved it. You know, it did win an Academy Award for best. Excuse me. Best screenplay. Oh, I didn't coming know that. Of, yeah. Coming of age story. It was nominated for. Check this out. Best picture. Best actress for Barbara Berry. Best director, Peter Yates and best music. Really? So it was nominated for five Academy Awards and won one. And I, uh, I, I really, really liked it. I mean, it was one of the first – I got it on VHS or I taped it off cable or something. I watched that movie incessantly, <laughs> and uh, I, I, I really liked it. I really liked it a lot. And, you know, it, it does have that, that – in a way, it's kind of like Rocky-esque in that it dealt with this very specific community 
you know, and and these guys that 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 wanted to have a better life and all that. And I I really I really liked it. By the way, listen to this. It won the Golden Globe for Best Motion Picture, Comedy or Musical. I had it no recollection of that. Best Director, New Star of the Year, and Dennis Christopher. Dennis Christopher, by the way, who later went on to star as Eric Binford in the horror movie Fade to Black. Which, where's that Blu-ray? Because I want that. And uh, it also was nominated for uh, Best Screenplay. Uh, Steve Tesich. All right. So, Excellent one to send in, man. That's a good deep cut that you just sent in there. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, Mr. D uh, writes, and let me see, make sure I get this properly because I don't think I do. Uh, Mr. D writes, uh, John, I saw yesterday's Batman versus Superman, and after seeing it again, it's really hard to understand the hype behind the Justice League Snyder cut. If Batman versus Superman uh, is... Uh, a complete mess and terrible movie and 100% Snyder. How the hell is Justice League Snyder cut will be any different? I just don't get it. Well, I mean, listen, that's that's a matter of opinion, Mr. D, because listen, I, again, it's time for us once again to go to the Cavill Cam. Ladies and gentlemen, let's go over to the Cavill Cam. Man of Steel is the most underrated movie, is comic book movie of all time. And I keep... Henry Cavill Superman right there watching over me, protecting the show, uh, making sure evil stays away from what we're doing. Got to have Cavill there. I love Henry Cavill as uh, as Superman and I love Man of Steel. And that was Snyder. And you know what? I like Batman versus Superman. I like Batman versus Superman. I understand not everybody does. And I get it that the movie had its issues and the movie had its problems. I understand that. And I agree it did. But I still thought the fun of it and the good of it outweighed the negative. And I I like Batman versus Superman and all that kind of stuff. So listen, there's just, you know, there are people who really appreciate Zack Snyder's work and what his particular vision was. Not everybody did. There were a lot of people who didn't. I call Man of Steel the most underrated comic book film of all time, but at least half the people out there hated that movie. Okay. I like Batman versus Superman, but at least half the people out there hated it. Okay. I mean, but that's movies, right? That's the beautiful thing about movies. But you got to understand there are a lot of people out there. There are a group of people who really did value what Snyder did with those films and kind of liked the vision he had, even if there was a lot of other people who didn't. And so for those that did, it's understandable that they have a real desire to see what else he was going to do. What was his thing going to be? So I think you just got to take that with a grain of salt there, uh, Mr. Dean. I get it. You didn't like those films. What's that? uh, Correct me if I'm wrong. But isn't Zack Snyder right now, as we're on this show? Yeah, I'm missing is, it. He, He's doing a yeah, live stream of, of Man of Steel. He's doing a, a they, live play. They expect they, they, I mean, all fandom thinks he's going to announce the Snyder cut at the end of this stream. I mean, it look, could have, look, while we're on the air, John, could, history could be changed. Listen, <laughs> I have been saying for I, six months now, ever since they announced HBO Max, just just put it on HBO Max. The only thing you and I disagree with, Rob, is I don't think they should bother spending the money to complete it. They should just put it out as it is. And I've been saying that for just just put it on HBO Max. No harm. There's no downside. There's no downside to do it. Just put it on HBO Max. You don't have to put it in a theater. You don't have to spend money on marketing it. Just take it and put it on and make a bunch of people happy. You, however, think they should spend the extra money and complete it up and then put it on HBO Max. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what they do with that. I, I just I just don't see why not. Why not? I just don't see there, there being a compelling reason to not just take it and put it on HBO Max, whether they spend the extra money to complete it or not. There's just put it on HBO Max. Just go do it. 
no harm, no foul. You, it's not like you have to pay rent on HBO Max. You are HBO Max. Anyway, uh, <laughs> next, next up, um, Tony Rodriguez writes, bought 100 shares of AMC yesterday. They were at $8 per share before the coronavirus. Uh, we shall rise or fall together, keep up the good work. Yeah, and Anne bought a bunch of AMC stock when it was at $2.05. When it got down as low as two dollars and five cents, and actually, let me just let me AMC theaters. Yeah, where is it now? <laughs> right now, AMC theaters stock is at four dollars and sixty-seven cents. So my wife bought it at two o five. At, at two o five, it's now at four sixty-seven. That's a nice so, little tidy. Uh, that's a yeah, nice profit there. If yeah. So and today. my wife did very very well on that, and I hope you able are going to be able. And you know, listen, I expect, and I'm no stock market expert by any stretch of the imagination, but I expect the day they announce that AMC theaters are going to be reopening, I think you're going to see stocks soar. Um, I, I think you're going to see stock sh- uh, stocks sh- soar. Sure. Uh, sh- uh, Shekel Money writes, "Hey John, just wanted to thank you for having a time having." for having a time answering my question about Magneto and his Jewish origin. Love your show. Oh, so you were the anonymous uh, viewer who wrote in about that. Hey, man, I thought it was a great thing to bring up because I think those are all points of view uh, and things we should take into consideration in forming our opinions. And by the way, just because my opinion on it is one way, that doesn't mean it needs to be anybody else's way. So I think it was great that you brought that up, Shekel Money. I really do. So I appreciate you sending that in. And thank you for the follow-up, man. That was really considerate of you. All right, Dr. Doombot writes, one of two. Hello, John. Whenever the verisimilitude of madness, Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett is on, I can usually spot an Alpha Flight comic behind him. This makes me wonder if you know this Canadian superhero team. Oh, you've clearly not been watching my show for very long. <laughs> if you're wondering <laughs> if I know about Alpha Flight. Uh, copy. This makes me wonder if you know this Canadian superhero team created by the legend John Byrne. I find them quite unique and believe they could add their very own flavor to the MCU with members like Sasquatch, Guardian, Puck, uh, Shaman, Snowbird, Aurora, Northstar going on mystical action-packed adventures in uh, the magical or majestical Canadian landscapes. Your thoughts? Well, there's two, like, my thoughts on this have always been the same. And Rob, you know, you and I have talked about this. On the one hand, I would love to see that, well, because I'm Canadian, uh, and I think they're, they're great characters. As a matter of fact, I remember when they cast um, uh, Peter Dinklage in that X-Men movie, the first thing everybody made the assumption of, he must be playing Puck. Everybody, like as soon as Peter Dinklage was cast in that X-Men movie, nobody thought for a second he was going to be playing. He played Trask, right? In the movie. But nobody thought that. They thought he was going to be playing Puck. Like for sure, obviously he's going to be playing Puck. So I don't know how you do Puck. Uh, Guardian, Vindicator, uh, Sasquatch, North Star. I mean, they've tried to use North Stars and stuff before. Well, I would love to see that. They won't. I, I, I don't think they have. Listen. I don't think they have any interest in doing a small quadrant Canadian niche thing in the MCU. I wish they would. I would love to see it. I think there's some great stories to tell, but I don't expect them to do that. And I don't blame them. I don't blame them. I would love to see this Canadian, but I don't blame them. Rob, the two separate questions. Do you think they could make some good, compelling movies around Alpha Flight? And then do you think you could actually see them doing it? What do you think? I love Alpha Flight. Um, I think there is a little bit of a goofy factor with characters like Sasquatch, Puck, Marina. You know, uh, they're they're a little they're a little goofy. However, I will say this, John: Issue twelve of Alpha Flight 
was one of the most shocking comic books I ever read. I literally, when I got to the end of it, what happens at the end of Alpha Flight 12 literally left my jaw on the floor. It was the first time I read, maybe the only time I read a comic book where I was, no, not, it it was Watchmen 11 and Alpha Flight 12 are the two most shocking comic books I ever read. And I, I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe, I mean, it, it, I was, I was shook as the young people say today. (laughs) <laughs> uh, so I, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Alpha Flight. By the way, I moved. I've been doing a little rearranging, so my Alpha Flight omnibus has been pushed out of camera range. But uh, rest assured, it's still right here. And I, I'm a huge fan of the comic. I will always be a huge fan of Alpha Flight. All right, let's move on here. Dr. Doombot writes, One small positive corona story due to the pandemic, Disney has made that uber cool exclusive Disneyland giant indie Funko Pop available on their online shop. I did not know that. Uh, living in Denmark, I had all but abandoned hope of getting this one. And if, for those who don't, know, who don't know what he's talking about, uh, he's talking about this. And my last trip, just days before they shut down Disneyland, uh, my last trip, to Disneyland, I got this bad boy. This is the biggest pop I've ever owned. And it was a Disneyland exclusive. You see the little Disneyland exclusive there. They were only selling it in Disneyland. He's got the idol in his hand, which I think is great. I mean, I this is my favorite pop that I own now. This thing is just too great. Um, but... Yeah, since they can't be selling it at Disneyland, it sounds like they're selling it online. Uh, Hopefully they won't make too many of them because I'd like this thing to appreciate in value. But at the same time, I love that more people are going to get the enjoyment that I'm able to have by owning this thing. I just love this cool pop. So hopefully you're going to get some joy if you're able to go ahead and get your hands on it now. All right. uh, Next up, Willow writes. Since you've been talking about Force Ghosts, when Obi-Wan told Luke that he cannot interfere... Did he mean that he can't physically do anything or was it more because he needed to allow Luke to go on his own journey and meet his destiny? It's a question, Willow, that has been asked by many. Here's the problem, though, with the notion of Obi-Wan and Rob, I'd like to know what you think about this. With the notion that Obi-Wan was just saying, no, you just got to go on your own journey. No, this was life and death. This wasn't just about a kid going on a journey of self-discovery. This was life and death and the balance and fate of the universe was at was at stake. The clear implication was at the time and still today for me, Obi-Wan, for whatever unexplained reason, was simply unable to interfere with what was going to be going on. I can't interfere. I, I don't think it's a matter of I choose not to interfere. The kid's life and the life and the, the, the existence of the galaxy was at stake. It was a matter of that, which brings up some questions then, you know, when Yoda was able to physically interact with the physical world and hit Luke over the head and all that kind of stuff, or even in Rise of Skywalker, which I'm doing an editorial video on right now, when Ray throws the lightsaber and Luke catches the lightsaber and all that kind of stuff. If they can, if Yoda can call down lightning to hit a tree and all this kind of stuff, why don't they get involved? And they've never really dived into that much. And I think it's becoming Lucasfilm's go-to answer. Because. Okay, because. Good uh, good enough. So, I don't know. Rob, what's always been your take on that? Well, you know, I my, God, that's a that's a that's a that's a complicated question, I think. I mean, my take on it is that 
you know, when it comes down to to I guess making something, when you're when it comes down to telling a story, and and what where you're coming from, unless you how do I say this? Unless you have mapped out a tale from the very beginning to the very end. I mean, we live in a world where we have Lord of the Rings, right? And Lord of the Rings was based on a series of books. So the reason the Lord of the Rings could be as good as they were going to be was because you had the beginning, the middle, and the end of the story already mapped out before Peter Jackson stepped in to make the movies. And when you're trying to do something like Star Wars and you have multiple creators working over multiple years decades. and you have decades and how how do you crap like when they started star wars remember tomorrow is the 40th anniversary of the empire strikes back george lucas had this idea yes i've been jotting down these ideas and journal of the wills and all that and you make star wars and star wars was a beautifully compact film with a beautiful beginning a middle and an end and and it did things and it, it promised this much bigger story story that we're only seeing a glimpse of but it's not like that story was was already written down the way lord of the rings was sure lucas had ideas and then over the years when people take star wars and it permeates the the pop culture consciousness and we start reading novels like splinter of the mind's eye or you're reading comic books and then it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and then kids all around the world star wars becomes a rite of passage and it becomes big and huge in people's imaginations and then lucas comes back and does the special editions and then he makes the prequel trilogy and and the prequel trilogy went in and you we, who knew what the clone wars were we only heard the clone wars you 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 fought you knew my father you know the clone wars was this mysterious thing that nobody knew what it is and so george lucas comes in and then he gives a face and he gives a backstory and he shows us the clone wars but it might not have been what people believed in. And, and it was never a story that was defined from the beginning. It was always mutating and growing and changing and altering. And even George Lucas himself got older. And, and I don't like the fact Han Solo was a murderer. And I think Greedo needs to shoot first, which fundamentally changed the character of Han Solo. And then people are like, why would you do that, George? I mean, I grew up with Han Solo shooting first, and 22 years later, you tell me that, well, actually, it was 20 years later, you change it, but 20 years later, suddenly Han Solo wasn't as cool as I thought he was. And I think at the end of the day, we live in a world where the story of Star Wars was never, it was a story that, that has grown and mutated, and I think that that's different I don't even know what my point was. I had a point here, John, but the point is, is that why did Obi-Wan say I can't interfere? <laughs> well, at the end of the day, Obi-Wan's interference or not has was never set in stone. The point I was making was that they didn't even know what Obi-Wan was going to be when they were making Empire. The, the the laws of the Jedi have have been changing the whole time. And so, you know, when they get to um, uh, uh, Rise of Skywalker, you know, suddenly Luke is rising up his X-Wing as a force ghost. W where did that come from? You know, and, and, and so it's been made up as they've gone along. And and there was never these. 
you know, it's whatever the story, it's whatever these new creators, what I wanted to say is when new creators come in, they can do whatever the hell they want. And there is no fealty to anything anymore. And somebody should have written down what Jedi can and can't do, but they never did. And so over the years, I mean, suddenly Jedi can heal people. When did that happen? You well, know? and you go back into lore stuff. There were Jedi healers and things like that. But I mean, yeah, it, it became an evolving thing. All right, we we have to move on. We got tons of other questions sorry, we got to get to here. Just- no problem. You get passionate about it. I appreciate that. All right, Ben Rayner writes, talking about Hook, did you know when they were flying to Neverland, Peter and Wendy, they pass a couple kissing on a bridge. And who was that couple? It's Carrie Fisher and George Lucas. Just some interesting trivia. Also, Glenn Close, a pirate on Hook's ship. I didn't know about the Glenn Close thing. Like I knew about the Carrie Fisher, George Lucas thing, which I only, by the way, I only found out about a couple of years ago i didn't know that for the longest time but i did not know about the glenn close thing guess when you're steven spielberg you can call in a lot of favors you can get a lot of people to jump on board and get involved with something thanks for that ben that's good to know dan ketchum writes Unless there's a good excuse, we won't know. Uh, unless there's a good excuse that we don't know, like an illness. I think future, future casting directors will view Ruby Rose as unreliable. But do you think the fans of the show will easily accept, accept someone else in the role? It's not like uh, Batwoman regenerates. Yeah, listen, Dan, I, I've said forever. Actors are, you know, Aaron Cummings, who is a professional Hollywood actress. She was on this show a few weeks ago and said, actors are completely replaceable. We are all completely replaceable. Um, and especially with somebody like Batwoman, who the fact of the matter is, and the, and the good saving grace of this is that Ruby Rose is only there for one season. It's not like she's been Batwoman for four seasons. It's not like them trying to replace Grant Gustin right now on Flash, right? That would be a completely different situation because then everybody's had like seven years of, of Grant Gustin as Flash. Ruby Rose has been there for one season. And listen, the people inside Hollywood, they'll know what the real story is. And if it was just a matter of, you know what, it was a bad fit. Um, it was a bad situation for her. It was a bad situation for them. They'll know that and it probably won't affect her too much. However, if it is something if and I'm not saying it is, I'm not suggesting it is. I'm just throwing it out there in a theoretical that if it's a matter that she was the one causing trouble and just nobody could work with her because she was difficult. Well, then they'll know that, too, and then it will affect her. But we simply don't know. So we'll, we'll kind of have to wait and see. All right. Next up, Greg Scott Bailey writes fun back to fun facts before Star Trek and stand by me. Will Wheaton had a small role as Lois's friend in the or as Lewis's friend in the last Starfighter. I did not know this uh, additional fun fact. Actor Dan O. O. Her- Dan O'Hurley or Hurley who played Grig in The Last Starfighter, was the old man chairman of OCP in the original RoboCop. Oh, I did. Oh, wait, no, I did know that one. I knew that one, but I didn't know about the Will Wheaton thing. Rob, as somebody who appreciates Last Starfighter, and start, were you aware of that Will Wheaton appearance? I was not. I've yeah. never heard of that. Oh, yeah. And also, don't forget Dan O'Hurley, he was Connell Cochran in Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, <laughs> That's right. which we can never forget. Uh, although sometimes I wish we could. All right. No, uh, <laughs> I don't like any of the Halloween films except for the last one. All right. Gerald Vanderpool writes overlooked uh, urban classic. Abel uh, Ferreira's 
uh, King of New York, Christopher Walken, Lawrence Fishburne, so Dave good. Caruso, Wesley Snipes, G. Carlo Esposito, Steve Buscemi, Theresa Randall. The actors created great uh, characters with little exposition, especially Fishburne. I like that movie. Now, I've only, I only saw it once forever ago, but I appreciate that movie. Rob, I'm going to give uh, an over under number of 61 percent that you own the Blu-ray. Am I correct? Oh, yeah. Of I got course a you do. Book. I got a King of New York <laughs> steelbook, brah. Yeah. What year did that come out? That was because that, that you know, was like younger versions of all these people. Yeah, I want to say I, either it was late 80s or early 90s. You know, David Caruso's in that movie. It's so funny to see. And they're all really young. And, and it's peak, peak Christopher Walken. I was going to say that's Christopher too. Walken in the in the prime of his powers, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, he's all. Let me look. I'm going to look right now and tell you. Uh, it was 1990. Okay. It was, I would have said the yeah. 80s, so I would have been. And yeah, 1990 and $5 million budget. And uh, what, a, what a movie. Love it. All right. Uh, let's move on here. Uh, Josh Bing writes After watching Defending Jacob, episode one on Apple TV, which is another one I hear is really good, and I should check that out. It's got Chris Evans in it. Uh, I have to wonder if, if uh, Downey's post Iron Man career might be well served in a mini series on a streaming platform. Chris Evans is great in it as, as a post Captain America role. You should check it out. Yeah, I'm hearing nothing but good things. And I got to say, the trailer for it, like where uh, he plays a dad whose kid is accused of murder and we don't know if he did or didn't do it and it just looks really solid that is on my queue because i gotta watch it i've had a few people write in and say that they've been enjoying it so yeah i think josh i'm gonna have to get on that so thank you for your recommendation on that dude all right uh josh also writes holy moly for anyone who hasn't watched the community table read trending number two on youtube it's worth watching for pedro pascal alone i've never laughed harder than watching mando struggling and failing to not break in the third act uh i i'll tell you what I was never a big community fan, but my wife is. And so the other day I went downstairs and Anne had just put on on our TV this table read. So I sat down and watched it with her. Rob, it's hilarious. (laughs) It's really funny. And it was so good that late last night as I was sitting down writing out a script for something. Uh, and that that video, that YouTube video, just put Anne in the mood to watch Community. So Anne sat down from like 930 to midnight just watching a bunch of episodes of Community running back. And I got to say, I was never really into that show that much. But I'm sitting there last night writing on the dining room table. as She's got the TV and I'm like, this is really funny. Why? Why was I not more into the show? This is great. I might have to go back and start watching episodes. Have you seen this table read? That they did on no, YouTube? No, but I, 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 I want to watch it. I mean, watch everyone it. said it's totally worth watching. Yeah, I, I was totally impressed by it. Totally impressed by it. All right. Uh, next up here, Michael A. Jordan writes, Hello, John and Rob. While I was watching your companion video the other day, uh, someone mentioned the foreign film On the Job. I saw that movie a year ago, and I got to say I liked it very much. It really depicts the dirtiness and corruption of humanity. Check it out. Yeah, is that's the one that's the Filipino film, I think, right? Yeah. I, if I'm remembering it right, it's the one where it's like the, this corrupt prison will let prisoners out to go do dirty work for mobsters and then right. they have to come back in. I have not seen it. Have you? Because I'm, no. I, I was just made aware but, of this when somebody wrote it in. What a great what a great plot. I mean, talk about an American remake waiting to happen or maybe it has. I don't oh, know. Yeah, that I mean, would that, make a, what I love that premise. Yeah, it just sounds really cool. So I have not watched it yet, but thank you again for putting that on our radar, man. All right, Raphael's Creative Style writes, 
I saw the video of your version of the ALS ice bucket challenge. Somebody brought this up the other day. That I don't know if you remember this, Robert, if you saw this. I saw uh, the video of your version of the ALS uh, ice bucket challenge. Uh, I didn't know you did that as I was not watching AMC movie news back then. You did the challenge in August of 2014, and my sister was diagnosed in September of that year. Thank you for helping to raise funds. 1.4 million was raised and a significant discovery in the further understanding of ALS was made because of the pandemic. I've not been able to visit my sister in the hospital and I miss her dearly. She is my world. Well, dude, thanks. Thanks a lot for sharing that. And what for those of you who weren't here on the show the other day and Rob, I don't know if if you knew about this or because I don't you weren't doing I hadn't created I hadn't created AMC heroes yet. I don't think uh, in 2014. So I don't think you were connected in with us yet, but we were doing AMC movie talk and the ALS challenge was going on. And I asked because, you know me, I'll, I'll do whatever to raise money for charities and whatever. So I asked the audience, hey, guys, the ALS challenge, the ice bucket challenge is going on. You remember that when people take ice buckets of ice water and dump it over their heads to raise oh, money? I remember. I love watching people do that. <laughs> right. Those were fun. Um, yeah. And so I asked people, OK, guys, what can I do? That will entice you to donate money to the ALS research. What can I do? And somebody wrote in, I dare you to do the show with instead of pouring ice on your head with a big pour ice down your pants and do the show that way. (laughs) And I'm like, will you donate money to ALS research if I do that? And a bunch of people like, yeah, we'll do it. Like, all right. So it was me, Schnepp, and I think Harloff was on AMC Movie Talk that day. And we started off the show with me taking a big bucket of ice, pulling open the front of my pants, and having them pour a bucket of ice down the front of my pants. And then I sat down to do movie talk. (laughs) And as we're doing movie talk, I went back and watched this episode a while ago. As I'm doing movie talk, I'm trying to just do it without breaking my face. Like, oh, yeah, well, this issue, blah, blah. But every once in a while, I'm like, this issue. And I'm like, finally, after about 10 or 15 minutes, I'm like sitting there slapping the table. I'm like, all right, guys, I did as long as I could. I got to go because it was starting to get painful. It was starting right. to really hurt. Uh, and, you know, I've got to I've got to take care of Mr. Magnificent downstairs. So it's like I'm like, all right, this is enough. I got to go. I got to go. So I had to run off stage. I left the show to Schnepp and Harloff. And I had to change pants and get a hairdryer like try to thaw out and went back on but that was that was painful but fun that was a fun thing and you know a lot of people this is one of the great things rob you know when, when the movie fan community wants to rally around and do some good it does some real good and there were other people in the movie fan spheres that were, were taking on their versions of the ice bucket challenge at the time and because of all of their efforts and of because of all the generosity of the people who are in the film fan community a lot of money got raised and uh it's always great and, and thanks for sharing that's that story Raphael, creative style that that's always great and touching to hear about uh about familial bonds you know so thank you for sharing that man and uh and thank you again to everybody everybody in the film fan community. listen whenever we've done a call rob on this show, everybody always says, oh, people who watch free YouTube videos will never donate money. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, whenever we've done something on any of the shows I've been involved in, whether it was the 24 hour Philippines relief fund, whether it was uh, that special we did earlier this year for the the uh, women and children shelter in 
uh, Los Angeles, whether it was for the LA Food Bank drive that I did a couple of months ago, whether it was for the Feeding America drive where we did the, it was supposed to be a 12-hour marathon, turned out to be a seven-hour marathon, whether it was the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge, where whenever we've asked people to step up as film fans to help out good causes, I've always, and maybe other people have different experiences, but I have always seen when you, when the movie fan community is called on to help people, I have always seen the movie fan community answer that call. I have always seen the movie fan community answer that call. Um, And it's one of the great things about, you know, being a film fan and being in a community with people like that. And it's, it's, it's a, an awesome thing. Anyway, thanks again, Raphael, for sending that in. We really appreciate that, man. And I hope you get to see your sister very, very soon. All right. Sir Ivan Bennett writes, dude, I've heard that nonsense about bleeding sabers. And I've read that red lightsabers are created by synthetic kyber crystals. I like this theory better. And it seems to be canon now. Check it out at Wikipedia. Did they go ahead and change the canon? I had no idea. I never Uh, considered. (laughs) I never. This came up the other day I just remember when they first introduced the bleeding the crystal stuff. I'm like, you freaking turning kyber crystals into mood stones? Are you serious? And they just, I never liked it. But have they since retconned that? It's sounding like they've retconned it, but I never liked the, I never liked that notion. I never did. Uh, what, I know your yeah, thoughts. Yeah, I, I don't know if they've, they, I, but it seems a little odd to me. I mean, but yeah, mo- I didn't like that ever. The idea that they're stones, they're, they're, they're actually minerals that you use in technology like we do here on Earth. And, you know, I think that's important, but okay. But I I I remember thinking at the time, so, okay, so they go through this to turn it red, to pour their hatred and malice into it. So, like, what did, what, Mace Windu, he's got a purple lightsaber. They have to piss on it, Kyber Crystal? Step pour your urine. he listened to a lot of Prince. He listened to a lot of Prince. (laughs) Listen to a lot of Prince music. Just put the Kyber Crystal in a room with, like, Prince's Purple Rain album just playing constantly on loop. Mace's uh, Mace's lightsaber never meant to cause you any sorrow. It never meant to cause you any pain, John. Ah, uh, little Nikki. All right, uh, let's see here. Uh, what's next? Uh, but thank you for sharing that, Sir Ivan. I gotta go check that out. All right, um, who's next? Trey Aunt Du, who writes with all the executive shifting and and happened that happened at Disney yesterday. One positive was massive fan and employee favorite Josh. Uh, Damaro was named chairman of Disney Parks Experiences and Products. That was Bob Chapek's former position. Uh, this was the job that Bob Chapek had had before being CEO. With this promotion, Josh has held an executive role in every area of the Disney company, except for streaming. We'll not be surprised to see him as CEO someday, especially because frontline employees love him. Well, listen, Trey, that's that's a very astute observation. I think you can tell, especially in a corporate structure, when somebody's being groomed for something larger, right? Like I believe they've been grooming Kevin Feige for something larger than just Marvel. I think, and to look at something like that, when you've got an executive that you are giving experience in every area that your company exists, I think that's a pretty good call. Listen, I don't know much about Josh uh, uh, Demaro. I don't know much about him at all. I've heard the name once or twice. But if he, they are really giving him that type of experience, I think that's a very good observation. It probably sounds to me like they are grooming him for something bigger a little bit later on. Uh, Major Tom writes, 
Hey, John, I finally got around to seeing Bloodshot. Universal Soldier did it better. Yes, it did. Uh, I know Bloodshot was based on a comic book, but the influence of a Universal Soldier was pretty obvious to me. I didn't hate the movie, but it was very underwhelming. I, I'm with you on that. I Underwhelming is a good word for it. It certainly had some interesting elements. And, you know, Rob, some of the visual effects were actually very good. For a lower budget thing, by lower budget, I don't mean 50 million, but for a lower budget thing, they did some very good work with their visual effects, but it, was a, it wasn't a good movie. You know, I, I won't say it was terrible. It wasn't terrible, but I didn't think it was all that good. Did you get around to seeing it? Yes, I did. And I had higher hopes than even it delivered on. I, I, I understand. I was actually surprised at how derivative it was of a million different things. And I like Valiant Comics. I just thought it was uninspired, mm. you know? Yeah. And that's what, that's what, like you said, it did have some good visual effects and there was some good action, but it was nothing, there's nothing we haven't seen before. And I wondered like, how did, when they made this movie in, in the world that we live in, you've got to do more to differentiate yourself from, well, like Universal Soldier or the dozen other movies you could cite and go, yeah, there's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Even even Lee Wannell's upload or upgrade, which came out a couple of years ago, which it had some similarities to, was better. And no, it was up, yeah, upgrade was great. Yeah, and a nice I little just, twist at the end of it too. Yeah, yeah, I like. I I have a very beautiful box set of Ooh, that on Blu-ray. Of course you yes, do. I do. All right, let's keep moving on here. Next up, Christopher Armott writes, To death, King Theoden screams as the riders of Rohan meet the orcs for battle for Gondor. And as they ride there to their deaths, all of a sudden, a few police cars come into scene. Oh, that's some Monty Python stuff right there. Come riding into scene and arrest King Theoden and his men. Oh, how I love Monty Python. That list, seriously, holy grail. Listen, everybody remembers Holy Grail, Rob, as this great now comedy classic. And of course, it is Uh, like whether it's shrubbery or or anything else. Okay, it's just a flesh wound. I mean, yeah, it's great. But a lot of people forget the movie was just also absolutely ridiculous and anything like the, the I feel like Monty Python, their modus operandi, their creed was one word, silly. That was their creed. Like silly was their guiding principle. Let's be silly. And while there's just some good, funny stuff in, it's also bonkers. And that scene at the end, like when the police come driving in, it was like, who the hell had that idea? It was absolutely bonkers stuff. Um, I don't know. But Rob, when you think of Holy Grail, like what's the first stuff that comes to your mind? Are there particular scenes that come to mind? Is it just the style of it? Like what is it? the, the, The big duel. The the hacking the limbs off. It's just a flesh scenes. wound. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, it, it's hilarious. It's just, but yeah, silly. But but it was silly in a smart way. In a very like their humor could be lowbrow, but at the same time, it was very clever and thoughtful. Dude, I I the scene I think of, and of course I think of that the Black Knight scene a lot too. But the, one of the scenes that I just I think it's Eric Idle is playing a commoner, and. And, and I can't remember where the king refers to me. You peasant, excuse me. And they they start talking about government, right? So so who may well I your king? Yeah. Well, I didn't vote for you. Well, <laughs> I, you don't vote for king. Well, how'd you become king? The lady of the water held aloft Excalibur and threw it. 
Oh, listen, ladies float around in the water tossing knives at people is no way to form a basis of government or whatever the exact word. I just remember I can watch that scene all day and just lose my freaking my Eric Idle in that scene is so freaking good. It's just uh, it's a great. There's so many great moments in that movie. All right. We got to keep moving on here because we're running out of time. Uh, Vaughn writes. Now, I haven't watched a lot of TV shows, but Doom Patrol has some of the best and most character development in a single season. I freaking love this show and hope season two is just as good as the first. Listen, uh, you guys have heard me say this before. This is one of those shows that I was like, that looks stupid. And I had no intention of watching (laughs) Doom Patrol because people talked me into watching Titans and I was disappointed with it. So I'm like, Doom Patrol? No, thanks. Because even introduced Doom Patrol in Titans, although it's kind of a different version of them. But I'm like, no, thanks. And then it came out and all these people started writing to me, people on the show and people I know personally writing to me saying, John, you would love this. All right, fine. And I watched the first episode and I was hooked. I got I was so hooked. And amidst there's a little bit of Monty Pythonism in Doom Patrol, where sometimes it feels like silly. It might be their guiding principle. But Rob Doom Patrol is deceptively deep and Doom Patrol has deceptively rich character development, whether you're talking about the history of uh, I I forget the character's name in the in the mummy bandages, I I forget his name, whether it's him. Whether it's the actress, whether it's the split personality, whether it's Brendan Fraser's character, every single character is given these deep, rich, profound and socially relevant backstories. And then they wrap these heavy message episodes into bonkers fun. And like, Rob, just the you you watched season one of Doom Patrol. Yes. Yeah. I okay, so just it. the episode of I flex the wrong muscle. Like you think about that, which might be one of my top four or five favorite moments in television history, the I flex the wrong muscle episode. But just when you look beyond that, the episode itself was so deep and trying to say so much, whether it's mental health issues, whether it's societal issues, whether it's whatever, it is truly one of the most magnificent shows on television. And it's coming back and I can't wait. It's going to be on HBO Max. But anyway, you're, you're just quick thoughts on Doom Patrol as a whole. Well, you're, were you thinking, by the way, negative man? Just, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, first of all, I'm a huge – you can can you see it back here? I'm a huge – well, it's over there. I've got, I'm a huge Doom Patrol fan. I've been my whole life. I mean, I loved the comics growing up, and I love the different runs of Doom Patrol. And I really think the show captures the comic really well. And there's a lot of great writers, especially of the last 20 years, that have tackled Doom Patrol and brought what those writers brought to the comic. People like, you know, Grant Morrison and stuff. And I I think the comic, uh, it's one of the best comic translations ever. And I think of all the DC shows on TV, I think it's the best one. I honestly do. Yeah, and, and, and we've had some good ones lately between Doom Patrol, The Boys, uh, Umbrella Academy, which we just talked about. There, there's been so, if it's weird to say, though, Rob, it's like the best superhero material on television is this non mainstream stuff. Umbrella yeah. Academy, The Boys, Doom Patrol. I, I You can say Watchmen is not mainstream. So so Watchmen, I mean, they're just doing some really, really great stuff with this stuff. 
No, I, I agree. I, and, you know, the Watchmen show, too, was whether you liked it or not, it was pretty audacious. I yeah. mean, they they swung for the fences. And I think the fact that and, and even even like even Preacher, which more people know, but it was still yep. off brand. Um, there's a lot. I, I'm surprised that we even live in a world. If you told me 10 years ago there'd be a Doom Patrol TV show or the, the boys show, I'd be like, get out of town. Yeah, no but chance. We, no chance. No chance. All right, guys. Uh, now, I should let you know, I, I forgot to mention this at the beginning of the show, guys. I have, uh, you know, I mentioned the other day that I've had a couple of very exciting things happen for me, which I, I can't talk about right now and I can't reveal. And um, I do have some meetings involving that that I'm going to have to cut today's show a little bit short for. But we do have time for just a couple of more questions here. So let's keep right on rolling. Uh, David Crabtree writes, I love David Crabtree, writes one of two. Okay, here are my favorite horror slash horror-esque films. Number 20, Event Horizon. I know so many people that like that movie, and I was just never into it myself. Anyway, 19, Frailty. Love Frailty. Number 18, Demon Knight. Number 17, Alien. Number 16, Cabin in the Woods, which Joss Whedon infamously wrote in one weekend. Um, anyway, uh, 15, Paranormal Activity. Number 14, Paranormal Activity 2. Number 13, Gremlins. Number 12, Fright Night, the 1985 version. Unpopular opinion? I actually prefer the reboot. I actually prefer the Dude, reboot of Fright Night. Dude, that's so sacrilegious. I can't believe I you say that on the show. I know. Show. I have so many friends that look at me with such disgust when I say that. I actually prefer the reboot. Anyway, uh, number 11, Nightmare on Elm Street. Number 10, The Lost Boys. Oh, God, I love The Lost Boys. Uh, number nine, Jeepers Creepers. Thank you for saying Jeepers Creepers. Justin Long, the, the sequel may have been terrible, but I love that original. Uh, number eight, Arachnophobia. Number seven, Scream. Number six, Shaun of the Dead. Number five, The Exorcist. Number four, Creep Show. Number three, The Monster Squad. Number two, Poltergeist. And number one, Scream. You know what, Rob? I mean, there's, there's talks of another Scream. David Arquette just got brought back on, stuff like that. I got to admit, I have never been uh, a big Scream guy. I've never I've never been a big screen guy like I, I got it. I like the first movie, but I was never a big screen guy myself. But this this is a franchise that's had a very passionate following and a very, very loyal following. So what what do you think about the Scream series? Well, I am a huge fan of the first Scream movie because I think it's a legitimate straight up. It's both a horror send up and a comedy, but also a great horror horror movie in and of itself that has a lot to say it's very self-reflexive about the genre and i love the first scream and i kind of wish they just left it alone the other ones are fine but i really think the first scream is is straight up legitimate a great horror movie with a great opening especially the the unedited version that has more more of uh drew barrymore's entrails spilling out of her hmm all right. Uh, next up, Mr. T.J. Lynn writes, not a fan of Star Wars, but do you think the character of Anakin would have been more well received had Leonardo DiCaprio played him instead of Hayden Christensen? Here's the problem with that. OK, well, first of all, Hayden Christensen, good Canadian kid, by the way. Is Leonardo DiCaprio a better actor than Hayden Christensen? Obviously, Leonardo DiCaprio is better than 99% of the actors out there. He's one of the best actors on the planet. He's great. So, yeah, he would, he would, so he would have played it better. The, the problem, though, is, is that Leonardo DiCaprio playing the role wasn't going to change the script and wasn't going to change the dialogue. It still would have been sand getting everywhere. It just would have been Leonardo DiCaprio saying it. And as Harrison Ford once infamously said to George Lucas, you can write this shit, shit George, but you can't say it. He made actors say it. And so I don't know. I don't know if having a higher profile actor 
would have even increased the angst against the material or if it would have softened it. I mean, I I often talk about the with the better the actor you get in the role, they can elevate material. And maybe, you know, Rob, I, I don't know, like maybe Leo would have found a way to talk about how coarse and rough and sand getting everywhere. Maybe he could have said it in such a way or, or portrayed it in such a way that maybe the the material would have elevated a little bit. But I. I just don't know. I, I don't know. What do you think, Rob? Had Leonardo DiCaprio played the role, do you think it would have been better received? Look, I, I always think that great actors can elevate even the worst material. But in the case of the Star Wars prequels, they weren't even. It wasn't even a question of of George Lucas was using digital technology to take two different takes of the same close up and meld them together into one. So the performances are so stilted because he was creating these a lot of the time in the edit bay using his new technology. And I like he even made Sam Jackson's performance is even stilted as Mace Windu. Yeah. And I, I just think that it was the, the whole, none of the movie. The problem that I have is none of the human beings, none of the interaction when human beings or aliens are talking to each other feels like they're actually talking to each other. I feel like I've watched something that's completely been created in post-production and I never feel like maybe there's one where Mace Windu and and Obi-Wan Kenobi are walking down talking to each other. That's like one scene and the movie is so stilted. I don't know if any actor could have helped it. I really don't. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's an interesting question, though. I mean, it, it is yeah. an interesting question. Hey, listen, guys, that will actually do it for us. Like I said, we had to cut today's show a little bit uh, a little bit short because I have things I have to run and do uh, that. Hopefully I'll be able to talk about sometime in the near future. Uh, but uh, that will wrap it up for today. Now, there are still questions outstanding. Do not worry. I'm going to do a companion video a little bit later today and we will get caught up on all those outstanding questions. Now, again, for everybody who sent in super chat questions again, my apologies it is outside of my control. YouTube right now is having some sort of glitch on their end where they're not actually logging the super chat questions coming in. And so they're not appearing in any of my displays and I can't see them right now. Hopefully YouTube will have that fixed. And if they do, I will include the super chat questions that got sent in in the companion video that I'm going to do a little bit later today, but definitely all the rest of them that got sent in. We will get to those later today. Guys, thank you so much for being here and being a part of the John Cabot show today. You know, it's not lost on, on people like Robert and I that you you guys who could be doing anything today you choose to spend part of your day hanging out with us and the other film fans and we are so very grateful to that and a special thank you to all you guys who did send in questions because you did two things number one you gave us great fun things to talk about but number two you supported this channel while you were doing it and all of us here thank you guys very much for that i of course want to thank the High Lord of Verisimilitude, our existential Mr. Rogers, the good man himself, Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Robert, thanks again for being here, man. We will, of course, see you again next time. And where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Burnett RM. Find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work and my show, Observations. The show about something. The show and, about uh, something. Guys, of course, you can follow me simply at uh, on my Twitter, simply or all my social media, Instagram, whatever, simply at John Campia. That will do it for us for now, guys. Remember, please do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves and please take care of the people around you. And if we all do that, we're going to get through all this stuff sooner rather than later. All right, guys, thanks a lot for being here. My name is John Campia. And until next time, my friends. Bye bye.